Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Well, Acts chapter 15 is where we find ourselves this morning. How many of you at some stage in your life have faced a conflict? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you at some stage in the last couple months have faced a conflict? How many of you in the course of the last five minutes? Okay. Yeah, a few honest people, all right? Normally, conflicts arise on the way to church on a Sunday morning if you're a family person. Um, Here's the point. We all face conflicts. And up until now in the book of Acts, we've seen conflicts coming to Paul from the outside, people who weren't in the church or believers um, throwing rocks at him or, or uh, dragging him out of town or, or throwing him in prison, whatever might happen. But for the first time in Acts chapter 15, we see conflicts coming from the inside. So we're going to open um, our reading this morning in the scripture at the end of the story. Like, how's that? Like, where everything goes back together and, 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 is, and is good and beneficial again. And then we're going to go back and unpack the conflict from the beginning. But... <clears throat> Will you stand with me for the reading of the word, and we will wrap up this story in Acts chapter 15, verse 22, this morning. So I'm starting at the end of the story, uh, verse 22, and this is what we read. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas and Bersabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. And since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, we didn't authorize them is what they're saying, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed, has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are talking again about conflict, so let me just kind of give you a background, all right? Um, Well, I'll just tell you where I'm going to go this morning with it. I'm going to give you several practical ways to respond to conflict. And I couldn't get away from those because they just kind of kept pouring out of my study. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. And I just kept jotting them down. I thought, oh, there's another way to deal with conflict. There's another way to deal with conflict. But the heart of the passage is why they have the conflict. And I'm saving that for the end. And again, it's a reminder that when it comes to the gospel, there's going to be conflict. 
And so we're going to learn some things about the gospel as well at the end. So here we go, reasons and ways that we should respond to conflict. Now, just let me add another thought if I could. I believe if you're a, a study of the gospel, if you're, if you're a, a study of the Bible, someone might say, well, listen, how do we know the Bible's true? And there's a whole host of things that we call apologetics where we make arguments from the Bible to show that the Bible is true. I'm a practical apologist, which means I basically say, open up the Bible, read it, apply it, and even an unbeliever is going to say, how did you know that? Okay. They're going to say, like, that's really wise. How did you know that? And you're going to say, well, the Bible says. Okay. Now, granted, an unbeliever can't live out all the truths of the Bible without the Holy Spirit indwelling them, without faith in Christ, but even they can see that the Bible makes sense. So here we go. Okay. We're going to look at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 and learn eight lessons on how to deal with conflict. So here we go. Notice the beginning of the passage says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, there's the heart of the conflict. They're adding something to salvation. When you face a conflict, here are eight things you need to do. Number one, be on guard. Number two, remain teachable. Number three, share the good. Number four, be wise. Number five, see clarity. Number six, listen intentionally. Number seven, interpret biblically. Number eight, be decisive. And all of those just pour right out of the text. So here we go. Number one, be on guard. Be on guard. You can't control conflict that is stirred up elsewhere. We tend to think when it's conflict, some of us either wade into it or some of us run for the hills, okay? You know where you are in that scenario, and if you don't, ask the person next to you and they'll tell you where you are in that scenario, okay? But here's the thing I want to remind you. We cannot resolve conflicts because many conflicts come and are stirred up elsewhere. Now, notice the text real quickly. It says um, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Now, over in verse 24, you learn that they weren't just in Judea, they were in Jerusalem because remember what text we read, the uh, apostles and elders said, listen, there were men who came out from us, we didn't even know they were going, and we did not authorize them to tell you what they told you, okay? Now, Now, watch this. Jerusalem is down here. Antioch of Syria is up here. Antioch of Syria was a great church. You may remember from our earlier study, that's the first church that, where the people were called Christians. And not only that, that's the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas, so it was a sending church. If you wanted to be one church in the New Testament, I'd say the church of Antioch and Syria is the place to be, okay? Because those people have a reputation for being Christians, and they are sending people out as fast as they possibly can. That's the church, okay? But that church is 300 miles away from this church in Jerusalem. Yet the people who stir up the conflict travel 300 miles to stir up the conflict in Antioch of Syria. Now just let that thought, ponder that thought for a moment, okay? Um, Pittsburgh is 300 miles from us. How many of you have been to Pittsburgh? Okay. Put your hands down. How many of you have walked to Pittsburgh? Okay. See, that's what they did. They walked all the way to Pittsburgh, taking 20-some days. If you stop to see some neighbors, upwards to 30 days. This group of divisive people were 300 miles away from this church, and they came all the way up there to stir up a conflict, right? That's why I said you got to be on guard. You can't control conflict. It's stirred up elsewhere. Many of you know that in your homes, and you've tried to resolve conflicts in your homes. Maybe mom gets upset or dad gets upset. You're trying to just resolve the conflict. You can't resolve conflicts that stir up elsewhere. And so you're on guard. 
You don't need to necessarily think you can keep the conflict from happening. It, you can't stop that. So you're on guard. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Here's the second one. Remain teachable. Seek the advice of wise counselors. Remain teachable. Seek the advice of wise counselors. Look at chapter 15, verse 2. And there we read, and Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas were arguing with these guys. They were saying, hey, listen, that's not the gospel. You shouldn't be saying that. Don't stir this up in our church. This is our church. Like, why don't you guys go back where you came from? That, you can kind of picture that debate, right? But some of them were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about their position. Now, remember, Syria's here. Jerusalem's here. You say, that doesn't seem like that. Up, that seems down. But Jerusalem's up on a mountain, seven mountains. And so they always refer to it going up to Jerusalem, even though on the map they were going south or down to Jerusalem. Here is what happens. They said, listen, we need help in resolving this. So let's go back to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles that are there, which would have been James, would have been John, would have been Peter. Those are the three apostles. And notice this already. The church had already started to develop elders or presbyterized, and they, presbyterous is the Greek word, and they're going to help them resolve this question. So note this. Remain teachable. Seek the advice of counselors. You got a conflict? Don't think you can avoid all conflicts because sometimes they come in from the outside. The second idea is remain teachable, seek the advice of wise counselors. Now, I love this one, okay? Share the good. Don't hyper-focus on the problem. I don't know how I miss this. When I'm reading the text, I'm thinking, that is so cool, okay? Look with me. Remember, the the guys that came up to create the conflict, they had to travel 300 miles, But now Paul and Barnabas with others from the Antioch church, they got to travel 300 miles back down, which means they got 20 to 30 days to travel. And I can just picture when there's a problem, all you're doing is talking about the problem. Not so. Look at this, Acts chapter 15, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, here we go, Paul and Barnabas traveling down, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. There is no mention of a problem here. They are not hyper-focused on the problem. They're excited about sharing all the good things that God is doing. And look at verse 4. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they told them all about the problem. No, no, no. Look what they did. And they declared all the good that God had done with them. Now, here's the thing. When we have a conflict, we tend to hyper-focus on the conflict. We only see the problems. When I was... uh, In Bible college, years ago, I was asked to be a resident advisor. I'm not exactly sure why they assigned that to me, but they did, okay? So I was over these 11 young men in my dorm who were 17 and 18 years old. And and, uh, I had some guys in there that sometimes I'd come in and it it would feel like a, a fight broke out at a hockey match, okay? Like it was like things were kind of messed up and everybody was angry at one another. I had one kid in there who was the best student ever, right? He just sat at his desk, did his work, got straight A's. Okay. And so here I am trying to manage all the other conflicts. Okay. And one night, I come back to the dorm, and the guys say to me, you got to get in there. You got to get in there right now. I said, why? They said, because so-and-so is having a mental breakdown. You got to get in there right now. Right. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he's throwing stuff around the room. 
like he's yelling, he's screaming, he's throwing stuff around the room. And I came into the dorm, and here is this quiet kid who's getting straight A's, always sits at his desk, never has a problem with anybody, and he's throwing stuff all over the room. He's a lot bigger than me. He's like six foot six. He's a, he became a really good friend after this event, right? Um, he's throwing stuff all over the room, and I remember saying, hey, 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 let's go out and talk about this, okay? And we go out of the room, and here is what he says to me. Ready for this? Is that what I need to do to get your attention? What? He said, uh, you give all your time to these guys. And all I got to do is do that to get your attention? You see, when there is a problem, parents, when there is a problem, we hyper-focus on the problem. And everybody else who doesn't seem to have a problem gets overlooked. I just want to remind you of this. This is so beautiful. If you get discouraged because you face a conflict or a problem and you can't see a way out of it, and that's what you wake up thinking about, that's all you're thinking about, I want to remind you, find ways to give God praise today. Find ways to just say, these are the things I'm thankful for. These are the ways God has worked. Don't hyper-focus on the problem. One of the ways I've tended to do that in my life, at least in my devotional time, in my Kairos journal, I, it's got a section where it says, list three things you're grateful for. And I found that I was always listing the same three things I was grateful for, okay? Kim, my kids, and the church, okay? There it was. Every, every, so I said, okay, what if I gave, what if I had different ways that I was thinking of each day of the week for something I'm thankful for? And so I just alliterated them, okay? Monday is Ministry Monday, things I'm thankful for in ministry. Tuesday is Tribal Tuesday, that's where I thank God for my family. Wednesday is Worrisome Wednesday, that's where I thank God for the hard things in life. Thursday is Theology Thursday, that's where I thank God for qualities about Him. Friday is Fantastic Friday, I just say the things I'm really excited about, right? Saturday is Simplicity Saturday. I praise Him just for things like water, air, the chance to live. And Sunday, I just praise him. But when we rehearse things we're thankful for, we don't hyper-focus on the problem. Do not miss this. Of all the parts of the lesson this morning, next to the gospel in a second, don't miss the fact that when you face a conflict or a problem, your mind is consumed with that. That's not how God designs it. Share the good. Don't hyper-focus on the problem. Number four, be wise. There's usually more involved than what was spoken. Be wise. There's usually more involved than what was spoken. Now, when we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we read that this group comes all the way up there, 300 miles, and the only thing they say is, listen, if you want to be saved, truly saved, you not only have to trust Christ, but you got to be circumcised too. That's all they say, right? But when Paul and Barnabas get down to the church of Jerusalem and they start saying, hey, listen, we got this conflict, all of a sudden, well, they don't even get to the conflict, some people within the group who the text says are believers, okay, now they're back in the church of Jerusalem, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, that is, these Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Notice what just happened. A whole new segment was added. It's not just about being circumcised the Hebrew way. It's about actually keeping all the law of Moses. Now, there were 1,613 laws. You ready for this? How would you have liked to have said, hey, I'm drawn to the love of God. Like, like you walk up to us this morning and say, you know, that stuff Pastor Justin was leading us in singing, that stuff moved my heart. I couldn't believe it. Like, that's me. I want to come to faith in Christ. And I say, great, glad you're here. Let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, and by the way, here's the rule book of 1,613 rules. 
Yet that's what they were asking. They were asking that they would add to the rule book, and I note this, that that's not what they set up there in the church of Antioch, but that is what they're saying here. If you've ever experienced a conflict, you know that what you get on the surface is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. There's usually something else bubbling beneath the surface that, well, icebergs don't bubble, but you get the idea that, that, that there's usually something else beneath the surface that's also a problem. And one of the things we need to do in the conflict is to learn to ask good questions to surface what's beneath the surface. Okay, number five, see clarity. Debate to be clear, not just to be right. Debate to be clear, not just to be right. In fact, we find this in the text here. In Acts chapter 15, down about verse 7, okay, it says, and after there had been much debate. Okay, now they're back down in the church of Jerusalem. They're talking about it, what the conflict is that was up in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas are saying, this is what happened. And the others are jumping in and saying, hey, listen, they got to keep the whole law of Moses and the whole thing. It's just like everybody's yelling at everybody, okay? But I note this. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, now Peter's going to give us the gospel here in just a second. But note this. Here's the point. There was much debate. And I'd just like to add this idea. Debate to be clear, not just to be right. You see, the Greek word for debate is used seven times in the New Testament. Two times it's translated as debate, okay? And it's to be clear. Like, we're going to have this conversation so that we can understand where the other person's standing. One of the times it actually has the idea of being inquisitive, and the other time it has the time of, of what to do if, you're, if you have a question. And then three times it's translated as the word controversy, and it's never meant to be positive, You may remember it something like this. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, avoid foolish and ignorant controversies. Why? Because not all debate is beneficial debate. It's the same word used to tell us what not to do. Perhaps you've been in one of those debates where it starts to become about who's right. I just want to remind you, being right matters But the initial idea of debate is for clarity, to be clear, so that we understand what the other person is thinking. And if you jump too quickly to the other side, okay, if you insist upon being right and you make it pridefully about you being right, then you're debating like a bad controversy. You're not necessarily debating in the way that they were here. So the debate is meant to see clarity. And we know that because Peter immediately stands up and starts to talk. And what does everybody else do? I love this. And it says, um, listen intentionally, give credence to those who understand it firsthand. Now, if you've been with us in the study of the book of Acts, you know that Peter actually was one of the first people to preach the gospel to Gentiles and watch people believe. And he saw the Holy Spirit come down upon those people in Acts chapter 10, and he said, whoa, whoa. Nobody had to follow any Jewish rules or regulations to become a believer in Acts chapter 10. And Peter says, listen, I have something to say. Listen intentionally. Give credence to those who understand it firsthand. This is a great reminder, okay? Uh, Moms and dads, have your kids ever come home and said, listen, everybody says, right? You know where they got that from? You say, yeah, the students at school. No, they heard you say it, okay? They heard you at some stage say, well, you know, everybody's doing it. Everybody says, okay? That's not helpful, 
It's not everybody who's saying it. It's everybody who has something secondhand to say. What you want is the people that were there, the people who saw it firsthand. You want an eyewitness account to the event that happened. And I love this. Look at verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. There is much debate going on. It just stops. Silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is incredible. This is just, hey, listen, we've been rehearsing this stuff all the way down. The last 300 miles we've been rehearsing this stuff. We can tell you like you can't imagine what God has been doing with the Gentiles. And they just tell the story. And everybody else goes quiet and listens. And finally, um, interpret biblically. Think of a biblical parallel. This is so vitally important. Look with me at Acts chapter 15, verse 15. Because when James starts to speak, James says, the pastor there at the church in Jerusalem says, okay, we've heard from Paul and Barnabas. We've heard Peter speak. Now we're to Paul and Barnabas. Now they've spoken, and I have a decision. He says, I'm going to make a decision. Therefore, this is my judgment. But before he gets there, I I want you to see what he does. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, James says, just as it is written. Just as it is written. I love that. That phrase is captured some 45 times in the Bible. You know who says it three times back to back? Jesus, Matthew 4, Luke 4, when he is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, all he says is, it is written, it is written, it is written. What I want you to see is that even here in a conflict, we want to come back to what the scriptures say. And then watch what James says. He goes on to say, after this, I will return. He's, you see quotations there. That's because it's coming from the book of Amos. Parts of it's coming from Isaiah. Parts of it are coming from Jeremiah. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's remembering the prophets, right? He says, and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by the name. Stop there for a second. Amos actually refers to it this way. He says that the mankind may seek the Lord and all the nations that are called by my name. James changes the word and focuses on Gentiles. You say, why? Because James is thinking, what does the Bible say about this conflict? And he immediately says, hey, it's not just the nations. The nations were those who are Gentile nations. So he just says, hey, the problem with the Gentiles is right here in Isaiah. And he references it as an issue in the Bible. Here's what I would encourage you to do. When you have a conflict, whatever the conflict, family-wise, home-wise, work-wise, what you should be doing as a Christian is be thinking, okay, they're upset. There's the conflict. What does the Bible say about this? Okay. Where does the Bible talk about this? You say, well, Phil, I don't know where the Bible talks about it. I have two words for you, okay? Google it. You live in a different age. It's not even that hard anymore. Just Google, what does the Bible say about? Put in the words. And then don't look for all the blogs. Look for the Bible verses that pop up and ask, does that Bible verse apply to this situation? The point is this. We should always be thinking, what does the Bible say about it? Over and over again, that's just kind of my mode of operation when someone says to me, Pastor Phil, what about this? What about this? What about this? If I go silent for a while, um, it's because I'm trying to think where the Bible talks about it. 
And I'm just surprised. It doesn't matter who I talk to. When people come with problems, they do want to know what the Bible says. Even if they disagree with it, at least they'd like to know. So this is where we pause and say, it is written 45 times in the New Testament. In fact, there's 250 times where direct quotes occur in the New Testament from the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament when the book of Acts is being recorded for us. So they had the Old Testament. They're leaning back into it. And there's roughly a thousand, if you count references to the Old Testament, there's a thousand different points too where where you can see that the New Testament is built on this idea. What does the Old Testament say about it? That's our pattern. Listen intentionally, interpret biblically, one final one, be decisive, make the decision and communicate it well. I love this. Here it is. James says, right at the end of the passage, verse 19 there, the last verse, he says, okay, we've heard it all. We've considered what the Bible says. We've listened. Peter preached. He told us what happened. Paul and Barnabas told us what happened. We've considered what the scriptures say about it in Isaiah, Amos, and and Jeremiah. And here we are, verse 19, James says, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. He just says it. Like, here's the decision. At least he says, in my opinion, James says, we shouldn't be telling them they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Now, that's incredible because there you have eight ways to face a conflict. And that's only when you face it. That isn't why this conflict is so important. Let me take you back, if you have your Bibles, go with me back to uh, Acts chapter 15. I want to remind you of the words that Peter says there, which are powerful, and they're all the more powerful for this reason. You ready for this? This is the last time Peter is recorded to be speaking in the New Testament. Now, I know he wrote his letters, okay, but this is the last time we actually have a recording of him speaking. Now, if you know anything about the disciples, you know that Peter was always the one that was speaking, okay? So this is the end of it. So you want to listen really carefully to what is said. Peter says, Acts chapter 15, verse 7, after there was much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. There it is. Peter says, I was just standing up and sharing the gospel and Gentiles started to believe. Like people who didn't have any biblical background, they started to believe, right? That Jesus, the gospel, that Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins. Verse eight, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. What Peter is saying is, listen, they couldn't have come to this understanding on their own But when I preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit used the gospel, awakened their heart, and they believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And he made no distinction between us and them. Peter says, listen, it wasn't that I had to be a Hebrew. It wasn't that they had to come through the Hebrew way to become a follower of God. None of that. They just believed, right? And I love this, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Listen, we couldn't even carry it. It was such a heavy thing. We couldn't keep the law, Peter says. Why are we putting it on them? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. I'm going to tell you right now, if those are the last words I can say, those are the words I want to say, right? Just to say this, I believe 
that we are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And I want to go to heaven right there, okay, before I mess something else up, right? I think that's what's the, what Peter's thinking. He says the end, and that's it, okay? And I want you to see that two words occur in that listing. Both faith and grace occur in that listing. As if Peter says, listen, this is the essence of the gospel. And that brings us to the final three ideas. Why this conflict mattered. It mattered for three reasons. The message of the gospel was being distorted. The progress of the gospel was being delayed. And the unity of the gospel was being disrupted. So let's just take them quickly and then we're done. Notice how the message was distorted. You ready? Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? Look at verse 11, Peter said, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's it, okay? And the way I like to say this is if you add to the gospel anything, it's not the gospel, okay? Now, kids, you've been really, really gracious, so I need you, and and quiet and great, so I need you to help me on this, okay? Everybody from this section over, you three, are gonna look at this section, and here's what you're gonna say. If you add to the gospel, just turn over here and say it. If you add to the gospel. Oh, you gotta do better than that for crying out loud. I gotta at least warm you up for an Eagles game or something, all right? If you add to the gospel, say it one more time. Look at them and say it. One, two, three. Okay, and this is what you're gonna say back. It's not the gospel, okay? You, you got the easier part. It's not the gospel, four, okay? Here we go, just say it with me, practice. It's not the gospel. Now get ready, look over here and say it to these guys. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. You gotta do better than that. Okay, here we go, one more time. One, two, three. Very good, one more time, let's try it again. Here we go, if you. There you have it. Wow, I heard a child's voice, that's great, okay. If you add to the gospel, it's not the gospel because you obliterate this idea of grace found in verse 11. But if we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, that's, Peter says, what we believe. The word grace is the Greek word there for gift. It means that it's a gift. It's a free gift. It was something that was given, right? Now that I have the kids' attention, okay, um, I'm gonna give you a line as you get close to Christmas, okay? If mom and dad ever say to you, okay, if, uh, if you don't do right, you're not getting the Christmas gift, okay? Okay, then it's not a gift. Right? So I'm gonna give you a word to say to them, right? Kindly, okay? Just say, that's not grace, okay? <laughs> you know what it is? That's works. And we are so prone to think that way that we communicate that way. We believe that the good things we get are the things we worked for. The biblical record is this. Listen, we were sinners. We all have that in common. We had violated God's commands because of our heart's desires, not because of something outside of us, but because we desired it. We wanted something internally that God had forbidden, and we went for it. And when we went for it, the only way we can be saved is by God graciously saying, I will give you the gift of my son to die in your place, even though you didn't earn it. And this is why this is important, 
because the message of the gospel was being distorted. You can't add to it and call it the gospel. If you add to the gospel, it's not the gospel. Here's the second thing. The progress of the gospel was being delayed. The progress of the gospel was being delayed. And you find this here in Acts chapter 15, verses, uh, verse 19. In Acts 15, verse 19, uh, we read, he says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. You know, what James is saying is he's saying, listen, these people turn to God. We need to be all about it. We need to disciple. We need to help them. But we are not saying, wait, wait a minute. You're not fully done yet. We, you're not fully cooked yet. We got we to gotta add the 1,613 rules to your life. Not so, James says. We're not going to do that. Right. And then finally, one last one. Um, the unity of the gospel was being disrupted. The unity of the gospel was being disrupted. Now, they give them certain things that they're supposed to do, and it can almost sound like when he says, okay, we want you to do, we want you to do, we're going to write a letter. We want you to do these three things, okay? Don't touch blood, not something that's strangled, steer clear of this, avoid sexual immorality. It kind of sounds like, wait, you took away all those laws, but you limited to these laws. It feels like compromise, but it isn't. Here's why. The prohibitions, one commentator said, the prohibitions have often been viewed, the prohibitions, these three things that they give them to do, have often been viewed between two warring parties, but in reality, they're not compromised. They should be viewed not as dealing with the principal issue of the council, but as meeting with certain practical concerns, not as divine ordinances for acceptance before God, but as concessions to the scruples of others for the sake of harmony within the church. There were two types of necessary questions raised by the Jerusalem council. Now, let me just explain what I said, okay? They said, you got to add this or you're not saved. The Jerusalem council says, we're not even going to talk about that. We want you to do three or four things, do those three or four things, and then God bless you, farewell, okay? We believe you're saved. Notice what the writer goes on to say. The first had to do with the theological necessity of circumcision in the Jewish law for salvation. That was rejected. Here's what the council says. The council says, listen, we've come together, we've talked about it, here's what we're going to say. We're going to say, listen, you don't add to the gospel anything, we're going to reject anything added to the gospel. The second had to do with Gentile Christians abstaining from certain practices for the sake of the Jewish Gentile fellowship within the church, and that was approved. They said, listen, here's three things we want you to do. Why? Not because they have to do with your salvation, but because we want to make sure that we haven't necessarily offended everybody in the group who's a Jewish person. The first had to do with the vindication of Gentile freedom. The second was concerned with the expression of that freedom. And that's why the gospel is the best mechanism to create unity within the church. The problem, of course, is that we all have our little things that we like, right? The ways we grew up, the songs we love, the, whatever it is, we have our things. And we, we're not willing often to sacrifice the things we like for what might be a point for somebody else as an encouragement. And then just note this in the end of Acts chapter 15, how this unpacks. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. I love that. Apostles decided they're no longer in existence, by the way, and so now we're just limited with elders, those who are appointed by God. Uh, the elders with the whole church. The church got on board and affirmed. By the way, if you've ever seen us do a matter of business here, like a budget or something, you have seen this process. We ask for the church's affirmation, but not for the church's vote of approval. There's a distinction here. 
And again, this is the pattern through which we see it. The elders present a decision. The church affirms. You say, what happens if the church doesn't affirm? Then the elders would step back and pray about it, consider more, but that doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't do the decision. You may have heard me say years ago when our church experienced a conflict um, that, that I was talking to an individual and, and he said, I said, how are you doing? And he said, I don't, I'm not doing well. I said, why are you not doing well? He said, I don't like the way my church makes decisions because the leaders were making decisions and presenting them to the congregation for affirmation. I said, uh, how would you make decisions, right? And uh, I, I can still remember like patriotic bandana, that's what he's wearing, right? He said, we vote on them. We're Americans, after all. Right? And I remember thinking, I'm an American, but what did the church do for the 1,800 years before America came into existence? Right? Did they not know what to do? See, Here you see that the apostles and elders make the decision. James leads. The apostles and elders agree. And then the whole church affirms. But it's the only time in this passage that the whole church is mentioned. The other times it's about the apostles, elders, apostles, elders, apostles, elders. And now the church affirms. There's unity here in Acts 15.22. But note this as well. Look at what else it says, verse 30. Having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, by the way, that's not the Judas that betrayed Jesus, all right? This is another Judas, okay, Um, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after that, they had spent some time. They were sent off in peace. Everything about this is the whole church agrees. They're sent off in peace. They're rejoicing. There's encouragement. They're strengthened. Why? Because the gospel, when it's properly understood, brings unity to the fellowship. You don't have to have every single I dotted and every T crossed for your agreement. Why? Because we agree upon the gospel. And therefore, the other things, we, like the Gentile believers, could say, I I can give that up because I'm concerned for the unity of the body. This is how the scripture works. We see what to do in a conflict, and the most important thing we remember is that the most important conflict in the entire world is that when someone messes with the gospel, it has to be corrected. Let's just see if you remember it one last time. So kids, if you're on this side, over here, I think what you're supposed to say is if you add to the gospel, just say it with me. If you add to the And that means you at least listen to something this morning as a congregation. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to serve you. We are humbled by the fact that we all look at these eight rules of how to handle a conflict, and we can see that we're not handling some of our conflicts well. Help us to review them. Help us to depend upon your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk forward um, with the truth that um, we are forgiven people, and that should make us gracious. We know what it's like to experience the grace of God firsthand. And that should mean that when we speak truth, we always speak it with grace. Father, whatever the conflicts are here and with those who aren't here, I pray that you would grow us and change us to become more like you. Help us not run from them. Help us not run into them wanting to win. Help us, Lord, to carefully engage in our conflicts and humbly walk before you in a way that says, Lord, what do you want us to do? And Lord, where our world, or our culture, everyone around us is altering the gospel, Lord, help us 
Be sensitive to that. Help us be discerning. Help us learn to say, if we add to the gospel, it's not the gospel. So thank you for Jesus and for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.